0: All right. Welcome, everybody, to Rationalism versus Mysticism, Episode 6. I have quite a a hodgepodge of different sources, but, you know, there are really odds and ends that I'm trying to introduce um, before we really delve into Kabbalah. And, you know, I promised that we would get into Kabbalah, and it probably is going to correlate with my schedule next week. Thank God I have the whole week off. So I'll be able to really dive into some of the new books that i've gotten as of now i haven't really read too much of them i started reading a book about rab Shagar um called like faith shattered and uh, restored really amazing book and um i also have a book from Gershom shalom so i'm, I'm hoping to sink my teeth into those eventually and yeah he's uh, he's apparently the uh one of the experts on kabbalah so i'm gonna hopefully get to that but before we do Um, I have some sources that are from Jonathan Haidt and from Carl Jung and of course from my favorite uh, you know Alan Watts but really he's quoting Carl Jung and so I'll I'll start off really with um, some quotes from Jalal Adin Rumi if you know him he's the famous Sufi poet and there's probably no other synagogue in the area where you'll hear somebody say that name but that's why we're so special and like I always say if they're if they're digging up something in these archives, let this be the thing that they dig up because that'll be the end of me. Um, so he says as follows, he says, silence is the language of God. All else is poor translation. So I think I'm just going to stop the class now and be silent for the rest of the time. <laughs> we'll have uh, many moments of silence. So I just love that because all else is poor translation. We keep, and last time we said, listen to the, the silence between the words, you know, and music is, is very much about not where the notes are, but so much just as equally where the notes are not. And, you know, that's a big part of a lot of this Eastern wisdom and, you know, Kabbalistic and mystical wisdom is that we tend to focus on what is, and we forget about the fact that what is not brings about what is, and is kind of creative in that way. So people think of nothingness as scary, but it doesn't have to be. It is the source of the things that you know of. The other quote here is sell your cleverness and buy bewilderment, right? Purchase bewilderment, in other words. and I love that because he's saying basically let go of this this need to think, this need to understand with your thinking mind. And we spoke so much about Jonathan Haidt in previous classes, and that's been really trying to drive that point home. Um, And there's so much to be gained, ironically, and so much to know about the world by not trying to know. And yes, there's so much to be gained and so much to learn about the world by not trying to learn about it and by not trying to understand it with your rational thinking mind, but instead to just sit with what is and meditate with it. And it's easier said than done. You know, there's there's only so much I can say to urge you to explore this on your own. And I think everybody's going to have experiences like this at some point in their lives. So this could be almost like a, a map or a guidebook or a guide for you moving forward as to how to navigate these parts of your life when you do hopefully stumble upon or sneak into some mystical experience. So I'll start with that. And then I'll, uh, you know, I'll I'll transition now before we get into Carl Jung, I want to jump to um, a couple of quotes from the Gemara. So let me just see where that is. So many sources here. Where did I put it? I guess, did I not put it here? Could have sworn I had it here. Let's see. Okay, we'll just read it directly from here. Um, so this is really interesting, Gemara. And you might have heard it before, right? We say in Shema right? Israel, right? And we, we know that uh, God is always saying, Uh, from this, or the hachamim are saying from this midrash, why are there two bets? So that you should love God with your yetzer hatov and your yetzer haram. So I want to dedicate this part of the class to understanding what does that mean? What are the hachamim trying to say? That you should love God with your yetzer haram. And we're going to get into what Carl Jung calls the shadow element. And uh, listen to this story from the Gemara. Again, when I recount the event described in the verses, the verse states, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord, their God, and Nehemiah, what was said? Rab said, and some say it was Rabbi Hanan, who said, whoa, whoa, it is this, the evil inclination for idol worship that destroyed the temple and burned its sanctuary and murdered all the righteous ones and caused the Jewish people to be exiled from their land. It's all because of the and Hara, and it still dances among us. It still affects us. Didn't you give it to us solely for the purpose of our receiving reward for overcoming it? We do not want it, and we do not want its reward, right? We want to get rid of this yetzer Hara. We are prepared to forego the potential rewards for overcoming the evil inclination as long as it departs from us, right? So we're ready to get rid of this this, uh, yetzer Hara thing, right? And so much of, of the mystical experience centers on this yin and the yang, accepting the fact fully in the moment That existence exists with both the positive and the negative, good and evil, are equal parts in reality and in creation. And unless you have black versus white, you can't have existence at all. And the most difficult part towards breaking through towards a real mystical experience is being fully at peace with that fact. And I'm not saying to when you finish that mystical experience that you should just accept evil and not fight it. But I am saying that in order to have the mystical experience, there's some degree of acceptance of what currently is in order to have that. And then when you come back to yourself, you're able to, from that place of peace, play a game in a more sophisticated way and less of a neurotic way in the way that you fight against evil. So let's see what we're going to say here. In response to their prayer, right? The hachamim at this time, where after the Bet the HaMikdash was destroyed, they prayed Hashem. A note fell to them from the heavens upon which was written truth, emit, right? All it said was emit, indicating that God accepted their request. All right. By the way, this is from Yomah 69b. The Gemara makes a parenthetical observation now. Rav Hanina said, Learn from this that the seal of the holy one, blessed be He, ha, is truth. Okay. In response to the indication of divine acceptance, they observed a fast for three days and three nights. Right, so they started fasting because oh, Hashem accepted our request and he delivered the evil inclina- inclination to them. Right. So Hashem actually complied in this story. He gave them the Yetzed Hara, a form of a fiery lion cub came, uh, came forth from the chamber of the Holy of Holies. Right. From the Kodesh HaKodeshim emerged this fiery lion cub. Zechariah, the prophet, said to the Jewish people, this is the evil inclination for idol worships as it is stated in the verse that refers to this event. And he said to this, this is the evil one, right? So this is represent not just the Yitzhara, but the Yitzhara for the worst thing possible, for worshiping a foreign god, which of course is synonymous with the utmost evil. The use of the word this indicates that the evil incarnation was perceived in a physical form, right? When they caught hold of it, one of his hairs fell. And it let out a shriek of pain that was heard for 400 uh, parsangs. They said, what should we do to kill it? Perhaps heaven forfend. They will have uh, mercy upon him from heaven since it cries out so much. The prophet said to them, throw it into a container made of lead and seal the opening with lead. Since the le- lead absorbs sound. And it, as it is stated, and he said, this is the evil one. And he cast it down into the midst of the measure. And he cast the stone of lead upon its opening. This is from Zechariah, an actual pasuk. They followed this advice and were freed of the evil inclination for idol worship. So there was a period of time, according to this story, of course, we're not taking it literally, but, you know, suspend your disbelief. There was a period of time that nobody had a ta'avat to do avodazara. When they saw that the evil inclination for idol worship was delivered into their hands as they requested, the sages said, Since it is an auspicious time, let us pray also concerning the evil inclination for the sin in the area of sexual relationships. They prayed and it was also delivered into their hands. So now not only the Tava for Abudah Zarah, and also now the Tava for sexual immorality. Zechariah, the prophet, said to them, see and understand that if you kill this evil inclination, the world will be destroyed. Because as a result, there will also be no longer be any desire to procreate. So Zechariah is a smart guy. He says, wait a second. If we get rid of the desire for sex, then, I mean, how are we going to have children? They followed his warning. And instead of killing the implication, they imprisoned it for three days. At that time, people searched for a fresh egg throughout all of Edithi's Island, could not find one. So they're realizing, uh-oh, now the chickens don't want to lay eggs. The rooster doesn't want to go with the hen, right? What's that Seinfeld reference? Isn't it the rooster that goes with the, Right. Since the inclination to reproduce was quashed, the chickens stopped laying eggs. They said, what should we do? If we kill it, the world will be destroyed. If we pray for half, i.e. that that is uh, that only half its power be annulled, nothing will be achieved because heaven does not grant half gifts, only whole gifts. What did they do? They gouged out its eyes, effectively limiting its power and set it free. And this was effective to the extent that a person is no longer aroused to commit incest with his close relatives. Interesting ending to that story. But the point of it, is that they realized at the end of the day, they couldn't sustain such an existence, it was impossible to live a life in which there were no desires for, you know, uh, these things, and uh, a a life in which evil lost so badly. So you look at World War II. what did it come from, you know, Hitler and the Nazis felt so slighted, their honor was so hurt, because after World War One, Germany was put down so harshly by the rest of the world and they were so harsh with the reparations and everything that evil came roaring back with a vengeance. So there's a wisdom in this idea of when you handle evil, whether that be in yourself or in another person or in society or a kid or an adult or whoever it is, be smart about it. Don't be too hard in pushing back against evil because if you are, It's going to come roaring back and the pendulum is going to swing right back. All right. So there's a lot of wisdom in that, I think. Um, So now I'll read from, we'll get back to some of these other uh, quotes that you guys see here on the page and on Zoom.
1: Um, Michael, uh, just a quick uh, interruption here. We're talking about evil and I understand, you know, you have this yin yang concept, but I mean, why do we have to believe in evil? You know, why do we need a duality? uh to to you know spirituality i guess uh in other words uh you know i mean that's not the only way to go uh i know it's you know Yetzirah is a concept in rabbinic literature it's not exactly present in the torah
2: um
1: you know uh, god separated between light and dark but dark is simply the absence of light as we know so uh you know i'm just saying i'm not convinced on this presence of evil uh we yep. don't have a devil The devil is not part of our you know there's no good angel and bad angel that's completely uh, christian you know yeah
0: but there is the pasuk right um or ubore ose shalom ubore ra right the change it to ubore because how can we say god creates evil in the scripture but philosophically so it is it is a jewish concept in that sense that it is in the yeshaya but i agree with you that the highest level of reality, the highest plane, is all love, or is all the oneness, or is all the nothingness. It is all God, whatever that means. I, I I can't even. It's it's hard to even put it into words because you know I surely don't exist on that plane constantly. I wish I did. I mean, we all kind of are striving towards that. But the thing is, where I, I the, the best way I can conceptualize it is that there are different planes of reality at which we experience reality and sometimes we experience that oneness and that un uh, that it's it, it goes against all our logic how could there be the good without the evil but somehow on this highest plane it exists but the the plane right below it it seems has this duality to it has this yin and yang and the best we can do from this discussion where we are because we're not fully enlightened beings whatever that means even though in reality, we are, and we, and you're perfect just the way you are, and even the thought that you're not perfect is perfect, and even the thought of hating yourself is perfect. You know, it's all perfect, in that one sense. Because I know what you're all thinking. Um, I'm perfect, of course. You know, just I never think I'm not perfect. And uh, but but I agree with you. I, I I think there's different ways of conceptualizing it, but there's also different planes of reality that we experience. So that's my best answer to your question, Doc.
1: To me, evil is more like chaos. You know, it's just the, the lack of order. And the other thing with evil is like, what one person calls evil, someone else calls righteous. So it's always so subjective anyway. You know, we're war, war on terror and, you know, they're evil people. But if you ask them, they don't think they're evil. You know, they think they're holy. So it's just the word evil, just, uh, you know, it's just such a strange, subjective type of, it has such a feeling. Absolutely. If you were to draw the line you're to draw a line someplace. I mean, if you're trying to do something for your greater good, you know, you just want to be selfish. Okay. Maybe that's one level. If you're doing something to hurt someone else, yes. That's the next level.
0: Yes. You know? Absolutely. And and to both of your points, the, the yin and yang symbol, right? It's not just black and just white. It's black with a little dot of white in it. And white with a little dot of black in it. You know why? To say exactly your point, Dr. Nasser, that even though, like Victor is saying, it seems good and evil, there's also the concept that what you think is absolute good is not absolute good. And what you think is absolute evil is not absolute evil, and it's really all relative. Because in reality, that duality is really a oneness. But it's so difficult, in a way, to see that and to connect with that, that that's like a very high level. But I think you're, you're right, that it's not an absolute. So, let's, so that's the Gemara. Now I want to read for you um, the quotations uh, from Carl Jung, and we'll we'll use that to shunt us into Jung's discussion of the shadow element. And I think it's so important because, first of all, who was Carl Jung? He was a psychoanalyst uh, in the early 1900s, contemporary of Sigmund Freud. They were close. He was like the president of the APA at one point, and then they had a falling out. They kind of had very different views of reality. We we talked about Freud last week. And the was ocean- he a
1: student? Was he a student of good, Freud or not? Not
0: of a student. Yeah, basically like a student, but he also diverged in a lot of ways. He was a lot more religious than Freud. Freud was a much more atheistic, had a much more cynical view of God and this oceanic feeling of larger than the self, while Jung saw it as like a fundamental part of reality. And he was a very religious person. And you'll probably get that point from the quote that we're going to read. Um, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to dedicate the beginning of this class to evil and whatever that means. And the shadow element within yourself, because you start to realize at a certain point that whatever evil you're rejecting outside is also the same evil that you're rejecting inside. And we're going he has some unbelievable, um, points about this. And as a person that's interested in psychiatry, I, I find it so fundamental for my future in the way that I want to deal, not just with my patients, but with all people, you know, and, and I, and like we said about the Nazis, you know, we, we have to be careful in the way that we play this game with evil. So let's see. He says just a few nice quotes before we delve in, the ego has to acknowledge many gods before it attains the center where no God helps it any longer against another god. Right. So this is a lot like the yin and yang thing. Right. So the ego needs to acknowledge many gods Right? Many images of God, basically, before it attains the center or that oneness where it doesn't need this one God to fight another God. In, another, in other words, craving and aversion are no longer things that you're lost in. You're not absolutely lost in what you like and what you don't like and this God versus that God. Because in a way, that's polytheistic. So in a way, that's Abu Dazara. Everything but that highest level is almost like Abu Dazara. But we can't help it. Well, this is where we are and gods, here? gods i think so he'll, he'll say that right now actually in one of these quotes i will we'll get to it right now when i say that i don't need to believe in god because i know quote unquote i mean i know of the existence of god images god hyphen images in general and in particular so he's acknowledging whatever he whenever he says god it's like kind of bomb whatever you can possibly think of of course is not the actual thing because it's already crystallized and limited the same way The second you speak something out, it's not the actual thing. The best we can do is state the negatives about reality. We can never actually state the positives. So he's acknowledging that right off the bat, that this, when he says God, he doesn't mean God absolute. He means, like anybody would mean, their version of or image of or facet of this face of infinity and what, however he perceives it. All right. Does that answer it? I mean, hopefully these other quotes will too, but.
2: It sounded more like he was speaking metaphorically about gods.
0: Yes. No, definitely. So with, in that quote, gods are like I God, are God images. Being. Yes. So God is really ineffable in his in his view. And at least that's the way I read it. And God is this ineffable experience that once we realize our biases towards that ineffable experience and whatever we say, we realize how limited that is. Then we could actually have a productive discussion. I think that's what he's saying. Now, he says, I commit the impertinence, neither of a hypostasis, nor of an arrogant qualification such as God can only be good. I'm not, what does hypostasis mean? I actually forgot to look that word up. Let's look it up. Hypostasis. Hypostasis means?
2: Less
0: than, like homeostasis is equal. Mm. This is less than. Great. So the accumulation of fluid or blood, probably not. <laughs> in philo- I was in medicine. In philosophy, are my two favorite subjects. In philosophy, an underlying reality or substance, as opposed to attributes, or to that which lacks substance. Or all oh, this is a great word. Wow, it means literally the thing that's not the thing. So it's like the yin to the yang. I think that's what it means. That's that's really interesting. Okay, I mean, if I'm understanding it correctly, we could look into it later again. But he's saying, I'm not going to commit this crime, sort of, or this arrogance to say that God can only be good. Why is he saying that? We know that's like the famous, Allahu Akbar is like the catchphrase of the, the Muslims, right? Or um, <inaudible> Baruch Hashem, or I mean, that just, God is blessed. But 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 yeah, we have this idea oh, God is good. We teach our kids God is good. And I know for me, growing up, once I realized, well, God allowed this, and God allowed that, and what about this, and what about that? Is God really only the goodness? Well, again, I would have to talk about planes of reality. If you're talking about the dual plane, God is not only good. God is the good and the evil. He's the, um, That's on the dual plane. But at that highest level, okay, then I could agree, God. Whatever that means, it's so incomprehensible. It's almost like we might not, we might as well not even talk about it. What about yeah. It becomes so semantic at this point. I, I don't even know. You're right. I you was the, ah, the word
2: that came down from heaven in the, story great. In the beginning.
0: Great. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think Emet I is Emet trying Emet to express both of those. hundred oh. percent. I think that's exactly right. And we have those other midashim about God casting down Emmet onto the floor in order for, to create humanity. That humanity, the, the angel of Emet was like, God, you're going to create these humans? They're going to lie and cheat and steal, and. And God's rahamim angel kind of convinced them not to create humans anyway. So that's really interesting. Um, Fourth out of five quotes, and then we'll get to the, the main course. The God holds the separate principles in his power. He unites them. The God develops through the union of the principles in me. He is their union. What does that mean? He is that ineffable ability to... Fully embrace the both, the nothingness and the somethingness. It's almost like, you know, I love, yes yeah, say, so, sorry. He's yeah. like a shell, you know, and you have the yolk and the yolk and the, yeah. the,
1: yolk and the uh, egg white. 100%. Or
0: even like a bowl, right? What's the important part of the bowl? Is it the bowl itself or is it the empty space in the bowl is really what we care about? But we don't really talk about the empty space. So too, all of this reality that's in front of me, everything that's in front of my eyes or even behind, like, what about the nothingness that's behind my eyes? We never really talk about that. It's like, what are you leaving out? Alan Watts, I love when he says that. What are you leaving out? What are you forgetting? You forgetting something? I, it's on the tip of my tongue. I, could, I don't know his name, but it's just like always right out of reach to mention this thing that's always there, but it's not actually there because it's by definition not there. And that's why there is something there because there's the not there to allow it to be there. So there's this famous uh, quote that Alan Watts loves. He says, that again. <laughs> good luck getting me to repeat that word for it. you go go back to the clip <laughs> he has a great quote he goes i have seen god and she is black and it hits you it's like you know that's one of the tools in comedy you know like uh to surprise the person listening like it's so against the patriarchal society and the i guess racist society we that that some would i'm not i'm not stating anything politically i'm not saying anything about society actually but yeah okay good good so there we can all agree that there were definitely racist elements and sexist elements so what does that mean and she is black like the easterners have this view of like the the masculine is the yang is the positive and the feminine is the yin and like jordan peterson talks about this and people say today oh that's sexist that's not how they meant it really didn't mean it as like women are bad of course that's not how they meant it they meant it it's like the receptive it's the it's the creative element of reality. Ironically, people think the nothingness is, is bad because it's destructive and it's, it's not destructive. If it wasn't for the nothingness, you wouldn't have the somethingness. So it's creative. So I've seen God and she is black, literally means she and is black because it's the negative element. It's the nothingness element that brings about the creativity that we all want. Right, And that's, that's just a very insightful uh, idea, I think. Um, and so god is the union of all of this god is really that we can't it's so hard to even speak about it's only something that can be experienced and finally as the eye to the sun so the soul corresponds to god right this is an analogy right if it weren't for the eye there would be no sun s-u-n what does that mean in quantum physics Forgive me, because I'm probably getting this very wrong and nobody really knows, to be honest. But at a a quantum level, this is actually true. Reality doesn't behave this way unless there is the observer to observe it that way. You want to talk about the cosmos, you'd say, oh, it's so egocentric to say that the cosmos wouldn't be there unless there were humans to talk about it. It's like, okay, but then you realize that the only reason you know about this cosmos is because you know about the cosmos. So you would probably maybe even want to call it something else or you wouldn't even know what it would be if because the only reason you know about it is because you're there to talk about it. So you could put man down as much as you want to. You could put humans down and say, oh, they don't matter and be so humble if you want to be. But at the end of the day, who, who's being humble right now? Aren't you the one being humble? And so You can't really escape it. You can't escape the fact that you, that there is something important. You are basically an aperture for... Existence to know itself So this is like It's a lot of like the mizmor Idea does man Do you even care about us And yet uh, when I gaze Upon the heavens I see all this stuff I think I don't matter but We're just below the level Of the divine and some might even Say we are continuous with the Divine whatever that means in a spiritual sense But as the eye to the sun So the soul corresponds to God I love this because God can only know himself through us, in a way. Right, in the I mean, Hachamim, yeah. Way
2: around also. We, can't, we can't see. The eye is useless without light.
0: Okay. Yes, exactly. It goes both ways. It's
2: a, it's a two-way street. hundred percent. The eye can't look directly at the sun.
0: Uh, I mean, it can, but don't try it at home. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's an amazing idea because the Hachamim have a Midrash just like this, where they say, if you're already everything, always, all the time, forever, inf- infinitely, then there's nothing to do, nowhere to go, nowhere to be, nowhere to grow. And it's for that reason that God created men. Say the Hachamim. But of course, this is all borrowed terms and all that. But forgive it. The point is, God wanted to have a relationship with Himself in a way. He wanted to play this game with Himself. Whatever analogy you want to use, he wanted to dance with Himself, wanted to play music with Himself, and in order to do that, he created man. And like the Kabbalists would say, he subtracted of himself, seemed to him in order to be able to know himself. And it's an unbelievable thing. That we almost like don't forgive ourselves for saying these words because it sounds so ludicrous. Like if God is this unlimited being, how could he limit himself?
2: Well, it doesn't not to limit, it's to
0: compact. To compact, so right. doesn't I mean, that. Yeah, is. no, definitely. But it sounds limiting. Right. Right. It sounds it's like a, an, it's
1: like an evacuation. Yeah. Like a, a void is created.
0: If he's infinite, how could he be finite like me? Right. It's, this, it's this strange paradox. And some of the deepest truths of reality are paradox, like the ancients and all the mystics have always spoken in paradox. I think this is the reason. Right. So now that we discussed a few of those quotes from Carl Jung, I hope you appreciate the depth and the unique perspective that he has. He's so interesting, and he has so many of these deep ideas. And Alan Watts actually gives him a tribute in the 1970s when he passes away. And he he literally goes on to read an entire speech that Carl Jung gave, and I want to read it with you. And I think it will probably take up the rest of this class, but I think it's worth delving into and discussing because I think it's so important. People forget that even doctors have moral scruples and that certain patients' confessions are hard even for a doctor to swallow. Yet the patient does not feel himself accepted unless the very worst in him is accepted too. Right? So this is the shadow element in any person. Right? The the deepest, darkest evils that each of us has. No one can bring this about by mere words. It comes only through reflection and through the doctor's attitude towards himself and his own dark side. Ah, now it's interesting. If I want to be a good psychiatrist, I have to be okay with my dark side. Because otherwise, if I'm neurotic about my dark side, I'm not going to be able to accept your dark side. And if I claim to be so good and self-righteous, there's, there's a problem. Because now I look and I judge everybody else. So Alan Watts has a great line. He says... The second everybody starts getting all lovey-dovey and everybody starts saying they're going to do things in the name of goodness, he says, you know, the first thing I do, I buy a gun and a bat and I buy some boards and I board up my door and I hide because I'm ready for the evil that's about to come. And it's true because all the evils that are, are committed, a lot of them at least are committed in the name of goodness. And that's the scariest part of this is that when we don't bring to light and acknowledge the evil lurking inside of us and we don't have the ability to laugh about it and if society can't have humor then we're losing something real we're not able to to be fully ourselves and we're not able to embrace all of reality and we're clinging to one thing and running from another and it's only going to lead to worse outcomes right if the doctor wants to guide another or even accompany him a step of the way He must feel with that person's psyche. He never feels it when he passes judgment. Whether he puts his judgments into words or keeps them to himself makes not the slightest difference. To take the opposite position and to agree with the patient offhand is also of no use. Feeling comes only through unprejudiced objectivity. So, in other words, a fully enlightened person is the best psychotherapist you can ever have. So Richard Alpert, Ram Dass, who I love to listen to, he talks about meeting his guru for the first time. And he says that the second, all of a sudden his guru looks him in the eye and he felt this incredible tugging sensation in his heart. And he he just, for two days straight, for 48 hours, this is a Harvard professor. He says, I couldn't stop crying. He said, not out of sadness, not out of happiness, just the emotion, my heart was opened for that one second. I remembered for a split second what it was like to be fully, fully loved and accepted for who I am. Not for anything, not, oh, because I'm a good boy, which is why your parents love you, or not because you're going to achieve, which is because why your <laughs> teachers love you. Just because of all you, all of you, you're good and you're evil, the, and the ugly, you know? And, and he said this opened his heart, and literally he felt this tugging in his chest, and that's what led him on his entire path from that day that he met his guru. To be able to expand into this this lifetime of meditation and sitting and and spirituality. Because that's what anybody's looking for. So if I want to be the best psychotherapist I can be, the best thing for me to do is to work on myself. And I would say that for everybody. It's not just psychotherapists. It's, you know, we want to do. We want to go out and do. We want to better the world. But it's like, you know, the the best way to ruin the world is a clan of do-gooders. Clans of do-gooders almost always commit a lot of evil. It applies to any relationship. Exactly. And, And that's what a lot of these Eastern philosophies mean when they say doing without effort or doing by not doing. And by working on yourself, on your inner work, you realize how much there really is to do and how much there really isn't to do. And often by not doing, we do a lot. So for me to take a moment of silence and just be present is often the best thing I can do with somebody to empty out a space within myself for the other person. And that's what I think the best therapist is. That's what I think the best guru is. So you have to be the black woman. Ah, exactly. (laughs) Don't tell, uh, don't say that to the wrong people, (laughs) but yes, you have to be the black woman. You have to be able to fully, fully empty yourself, empty, empty, empty until that you are a canvas for the other person or a mirror for the other person to bounce themselves off of. And that's why it's so valuable to have a person like this. And even if they're not perfect, okay, you deal with it. And you work out your dance together and you're able to figure this out. And there's a great story of that Alan Watts uh, says that he wanted to write up and he just made it up in his head where a guy, you know, uh, one of these blue collar workers, he decides that he's going to, he's going to walk into the store. The next store he walks into, he's going to meet his guru. And he sits down at a table, some guys, you know, drinking a cup of Joe and his donut. And he talks to the guy. And everything the guy says is really on just one plane. It's just like, you know, regular old uh, blue collar stuff. And, but this guy, of course, he reads into it so much. Oh, when you say this, you really mean this. And, like, everything is so com- comedy to us and so humorous as the reader. But really, it's just the guy's just saying things. And, you know, week after week, he sees the same guy and he talks to him. And by the end of the story, he gets in lions. And the guy wasn't a guru. The guy wasn't a a knowing guru. He wasn't a purposeful guru. But he was a guru nonetheless. So I think part of trusting reality, and I, I mentioned to somebody last week, something so beautiful to me at least. What does faith mean? Faith doesn't mean insisting on an outcome. It's not faith that God will do X for me. That's not faith. That's the opposite of faith. It's literally the opposite. It's saying, God, I need you to do this for me because I know best. Faith is fundamentally in this very moment right now. It's not not thinking and it's not thinking and it's not forcing yourself not to think. It's just fully letting go, fully letting go, which is the hardest thing to do sometimes. But if you sit enough, it's easy. And just do less, just let go in the moment. And by doing that, we can have faith in life as our guru because eventually in whatever lifetime, if there are lifetimes or in this one or whatever, you will become enlightened. You will, it will happen one day. One day, I don't know how these things work, but whatever suffering it was or pleasure with the suffering it was that led you towards that moment of enlightenment, in that sense, suffering was grace. I'm not justifying evil, I'm not doing it, but it's, it's the worst thing and it hurts so much. And yet it eventually led to the thing that got you enlightened. So in that sense, it was your guru and it was grace. It's very hard to accept this and I have my own emotional reactions to it too but it, it, it gives a certain sense of peace. It's very hard. Very hard. I see I see a lot of wincing going on here.
2: Is this related to um, accepting, I, I know you're speaking about evil, but accepting the bad things that happen along with the book?
0: Absolutely.
2: Because Shalom Re- Rabbi Shalom Re- has written a book called The Garden of Gratitude, where... For- Uh, he writes about this concept and he also writes about people who they touch him for bad things and then they've had turnarounds amazing
0: i love that there's one meditation i listened to that that they say i love my dark thoughts i love my pain and if you repeat that to yourself I'm I'm not here to justify all the bad that's have everyone suffers. And we've all had our unique suffering and I'm not here to say that's okay. It's not okay, but I'm trying to help you see how you can help yourself in a way and help relieve the suffering within your own soul. And ironically, you know, those, those Chinese toys where you put your fingers together and like, if you try to pull them apart, it, 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 it gets tighter. And the only way to release yourself from this thing is to, let go and put your fingers closer together and then it releases its grip and you're able to get out of it. It's a little children's toy and yet it carries so much wisdom. I think that's the the goal with evil. If you're running away from it constantly you can't sit with it for a second or not just evil pain and suffering too. It's easy for me to say it right now because I'm not in tremendous pain, but if you're able, this is the fundamental part of spirituality and mysticism, I think. Is is finding a way to sit with what is, no matter what that is, and it's yeah.
1: So I want to back up. Please, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're talking about kind of like just being the observer, you know, and kind of taking everything in, and you kind of learn just from looking at what everything is going on around you. But you also learn more from trying to do something, not yes. being that observer. You see what's going on, and you take action, and. Uh, you may succeed and you mm-hmm. may fail and you will learn lessons from both. And we can't, we can't forget about that.
0: Yes, either. absolutely. I, and I often, when these discussions happen, I don't do enough justice towards that. I don't do enough justice towards do and go and be good. And, 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 and say it again. That's Because that's just the norm that we're kind of taught. Yes. That's, that's why I'm reacting things. to it, but of course, go out and do it, but don't get lost in it. All the while, try to challenge yourself to see that during those valiant efforts that you're making, try to see if you can remember that you are the emptiness behind it all. You're the nothingness. You're the peace at the end of the day. Even if you might not feel peaceful. There is a peace somewhere in there, no matter what's going on for you, that can be present with what is. And that's infinitely powerful. So let's continue with the, uh, with the speech. This sounds almost like a scientific precept, and it could be confused with a purely intellectual, abstract attitude of mind. But what I mean is something quite different. It is a human quality, a kind of deep respect for the facts, for the man who suffers from them, and for the riddle of such a man's life. The truly religious person has the attitude. He knows that God has brought all sorts of strange and inconceivable things to pass, and he seeks in the most curious ways to enter a man's heart. That's God seeks to enter a man's heart and of course it's a personification of course it's anthropomorphism you don't have to use that language but you understand what he's saying he therefore senses in everything the unseen presence of the divine will this is what i mean by unprejudiced objectivity it is a moral achievement on the part of the doctor who ought not to let himself be repelled by sickness and corruption All right so it's the ability like you know richard alpert would say it's the ability to say the following if you're looking for god all you see is God. All you see is God. Anywhere and everywhere, whatever that means. God is either everything or he's nothing. If you, you want to call yourself an atheist, fine, use some other word than God. But eventually there is existence going on in which you are continuous with it. You have to agree with that. And at some stage, you'll have some peace. So whatever leads you towards that is, is kind of what you should be looking for and some people want to call it god and maybe there's not something so much so wrong with sometimes personifying it but then remembering okay i really know not i there's so much i don't know and then the not knowing mind can can take over but very often i use my left brain and i get stuck in my left brain sometimes but often i use it as a tool i try to use my rational faculties to open up my heart and i try to use logic to be a tool towards negating itself to calm that part of the brain down so that I can open up to the experience, right? And if you, if you sharpen your left brain, your rational faculty more, it doesn't have to be against you. It could also be used to be humble on its own and realize how limited it is and then to give way and say, okay, you'll take it from here, right brain. You'll take it from here, you know, task positive network, whatever it may be.
2: Is it to understand
1: pain as well.
0: Yes, 100%. Uh, to understand anything and everything that's going on at, a, at the deepest level. Oh,
1: it's a strong tool to understand.
0: For sure. And to, to kind of be conscious of it and to try to prevent it as well. But it's, 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 it's a, it's a dance. It's a, it's a delicate dance. We cannot change anything unless we accept it. Very important. Condemnation does not liberate. It oppresses. I am the oppressor of the person I condemn, not his friend and fellow sufferer. I do not in the least mean to say that we must never pass judgment when we desire to help and improve. But if the doctor wishes to help a human being, he must be able to accept him as he is. And he can do this in reality only when he has already seen and accepted himself as he is. So unless you fully accept yourself, you're going to hurt not only yourself, but other people. And, and even if you're conscious of this right now, you're going to go out tomorrow and you're going to be, playing this game with other people and just notice for a second I challenge you to bring these ideas into your daily life and say okay where am I you know being hard on people or where am I resisting certain types of people and maybe if I'm just sitting with myself I can challenge myself just to tolerate a little bit more that thing which I'm running away from or that person which I'm running away from and that's the most liberating thing Because it's the same thing as that Chinese toy. If you just go closer, it'll allow you to to disentangle from all this neuroticism. Perhaps this sounds very simple, but simple things are always the most difficult. In actual life, it requires the greatest art to be simple. And so acceptance of oneself is the essence of the moral problem and the acid test of one's whole outlook on life. That I feed the beggar, that I forgive an insult, that I love my enemy in the name of God. All these are undoubtedly great virtues. What I do unto the least of my brethren, that I do unto God. Right? So if you see other people as faces of God in a non-literal sense or however you want to take that, no matter how terrible and how crazy they are or whatever you think about them, they're you. And the best thing you can say is that could have been me. So, so often I tell people, I'm going into psychiatry. Oh, you want to deal with the crazies? You want to deal with them? Did you ever think it could have been you? What if you had those genetics? What if you grew up on the south side of Chicago? What if your father left the family? What if all these things? You don't think you would be there? Ah, okay. Because you, you're perfect. You have this free will thing that's going to prevent you. And you're, you know, who, who would you be if you were them? You, don't, you have no idea. So, obviously, I'm not saying to go and delve into evil too much because then it's going to consume you find those places where you can do it so I've been inspired by a lot of this so I'll get to you in a second sorry just to be involved with maybe the prisoners and teach them meditation or whatever because what 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 holier work can you do with those people then then with those people or the 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 least of my brethren in the words of Jung than dealing with prisoners yes yeah, I guess I'm
2: confused because let's say like the evil inside me let's say is like a negative character, let's say it's selfish, right? So I can't accept that in myself that I'm selfish because it's just not an evil I'm okay accepting or condoning or saying, um, I'm just gonna let it stay in me. So then I see it it most in other people because it's something that I'm very hyper aware of. Mm -hmm. But why should I ever accept their selfishness? And then, I mean, I know I'm not, let's say accepting my selfishness, but why then should I have to accept his?
0: So I'm not saying that you should be a doormat. Definitely not. But I'm saying that you'll probably relate in a more healthy way to all people, because at the end of the day, everybody has a certain selfishness that you can't escape. And it's only once. So Alan Watts gives a great mashal. He says, you look at a a stream of water like you. Let's say, you you know, you you go to the casino, the deal casino. When I was a kid, I would, you know, turn on the shower just to get the water to start percolating in the sand. And I would watch as it would make these random streams. And I would dig a little here, dig a little there to get it to go in a certain direction. And is the water thinking, "Uh oh, I, I can't continue this way. Like, you know, it kind of streams off in one direction, but it stops. Is it getting neurotic and saying, oh, I can't go this way. It's like, no, don't worry. You just keep flowing. You'll find a way. You'll find the path of least resistance. That's what it's always been. And the truth is, with human beings, And it's, I don't want to get too far into this idea of free will, because when you want to talk about free will, you have to talk about what are you, what is your essence, do you have an essence, what is that in comparison to God, is God the free will of the universe, it's a discussion for another time. But you in reality are taking the path of least resistance, whether you like it or not. This whole time you have been, even if you think, no, I did the difficult thing when it was difficult and I did it anyway. It's like, yeah, why did you do that? So that because you wanted to one up the universe, you always think that you're going to one up the universe and there's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. And only once you accept that you are selfish, then you're able to open up to the love idea or whatever that means and realize, okay, it's okay that I'm selfish. and We're all selfish. Let's, let's just do this dance together.
2: So accepting doesn't mean condoning.
0: Exactly. It doesn't mean condoning. It doesn't mean being a doormat. It, it just means understanding. It doesn't
2: mean saying it's okay.
0: Exactly. That's the same thing with evil right? Definitely not. But
1: but selfish isn't always bad. I mean, it's selfish just means you have self regard, and you're trying to do things for yourself. But I mean, you know, it can be bad. But also, it's, it's also part of your makeup. I mean, of course, you want to eat, you want, uh, you know, you want to succeed. I mean, these, these are selfish desires. Mm -hmm. Now you want to bring, you know, obviously, have a community, have a family and, uh, you know interact with people and have people like you again that also sounds selfish right you want people to like yep. you that's selfish it, it's uh, in other words it it could be negative but selfishness is is just a natural trait it doesn't need to be negative i guess is what i'm absolutely. saying
0: absolutely yeah no yeah and and uh, <laughs> the whole point that i that i would make from that is that you know even for like for me as, as i'm going to go be this psychotherapist psychiatrist and i I'm going to say to myself, OK, you know, I'm going to have kids, hopefully. I'm going to do good things for my kids. I'm going to do good things for these prisoners. At the, on the outside, it looks, oh, how loving is that? But it's selfish, too, because I look great and I get respect and I, I'm helping my kid, but it's my kid and I'm helping my friend or even the stranger. But at that sense of satisfaction that I get, you can't escape it. There's an episode of Friends about that where Phoebe gets stung by a bee at the end and she thinks that's a, an act of completely self, selfless uh, kindness, but it doesn't actually exist and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's the Bechol Leba becha, Love God with your Yetzirah Tov and your So use that selfishness so that this is what uh, Jonathan Haidt talks about when he says that humans are 90% chimp and 10% bee. So the best conclusion I could come to is that the things that I'm going to do that are selfish, I'm going to try to make sure for the most part, because it's not going to be all of them, obviously, when I brush my teeth, home, I'm my helping. I, I mean, I guess I'm not going to smell that around people. But I'm going to try to make sure that the selfish things that I do coincide with concurrently being good for other people they're selfish nonetheless but they're concurrently good for other people and that's the best I can do you know and uh, the, this idea of 90% chimp and 10% B is that yes humans evolved natural selection on the individual basis to be selfish and when when you see a pack of chimps fighting together to capture a, a, a prey they're actually not working as a team they're actually working as individuals each one wanting but it looks on the outside like they're a team But humans have this extra special thing. I don't know all the biology of it, but Haidt gets into it. And there's this whole mahluket about group selection versus individual selection. He he gives his shita of why group selection is real. And at the end of the day, humans have this capacity of being like a hive mind and being, you know, larger than the self by being part of a group. And we'll get to that next week. I'll read some quotes from Haidt uh, that we'll get to, but but let's continue with this, uh, this Jung stuff. But yeah, that's that's the long and short of it, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, So but what but what if I should discover that the least amongst them all, the poorest of all beggars, the most impudent of all offenders, yea, the very fiend himself, that these are within me and that I myself stand in need of my own kindness, that I myself am the enemy who must be loved. What then? When you realize that's me on a spiritual level, that guy that I think is crazy, I'm pointing a finger at, uh, if we're all God, really, that's really me. In a literal sense, in a spiritual sense, and in a literal sense, too, that he represents a part of me as well. The part of me that I might wish to reject, but that now let me bring more compassion and love to. Then as a rule, the whole truth of religion is reversed. There, then, there is then no more talk of love and long-suffering. We say to the brother within us, Raqqa. And condemn and rage against ourselves, we hide him from the world, we deny ever having met this least among the lowly in ourselves, and had it been God himself who drew near to us in this despicable form, we should have denied him a a thousand times before a single cock had crowed, right? So this is the idea that a lot of religious history is about fighting evil and doing all this stuff to reject evil. Healing may be called a religious problem in the sphere of social or national relations. The state of suffering may be civil war, and this state is to be cured by the religious virtue of forgiveness and love of one's enemies. That which we recommend with the conviction of good people as applicable to external situations, we must also apply inwardly in the treatment of neurosis. This is why modern man has heard enough about guilt and sin. He is sorely beset by his own bad conscience and wants rather to know how he is to reconcile himself with his own nature how he is to love the enemy in his heart, in his own heart and call the wolf his brother, right? That's what we're looking for right now. We're not looking for a speech from a guy telling us, go do good. It's very easy to say, go do good. Well, what is the good? Are you really doing good? You don't even know if you're really producing that good. And so often we're so hard on the evil outside that we're going to be so hard on the evil inside. And we end up doing all these crimes against ourselves. And that's a very tough thing. And even with friends of mine, like when I mess up, I beg for their mercy and I say, you know, please give me a little bit more compassion because I know myself that if you're so hard on me, I'm going to close up and I'm going to get defensive. So the best way to deal with this evil part of me is to be nicer and say, here, kitty, 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 you know, like kind of deal with it in a nicer way and then it'll open itself up to healing. The modern man does not want to know in what way he can imitate God, but in what way he can live his own individual life. However meager and uninteresting it may be, it is because every form of imitation seems to him deadening and sterile, that he rebels against the force of tradition that would hold him to well-trodden ways. All such roads for him lead in the wrong direction. He may not know it, but he behaves as if his own individual life for God's special will, which must be fulfilled at all costs, right? This is the selfishness that we have. This is the source of his egoism which is one of the most tangible evils of the neurotic state, but the person who tells him he's too egoistic has already lost his confidence. This is what I was saying in the example of me. Oh, you're too egotistical. And now you lost my confidence. Now you hurt me so bad that I can't even talk to you anymore. And rightly so for that person has driven him still further into his neurosis. That's not the right way to be. If I wish to effect a cure for my patients, and sorry guys, it's almost done. If I wish to effect a cure for my patients, I am forced to acknowledge the deep significance of their egoism. I should be blind indeed if I did not recognize it as a true will of God. I must even help the patient to prevail in his egoism. If he succeeds in this, he estranges himself from other people, he drives them away, and they come to themselves as they should, for they were seeking to rob him of his sacred egoism. This must be left to him, for it is his strongest and healthiest power. So you kind of have to let the guy's ego run wild a little bit. And famously from people who have taken psychedelics, we hear accounts that, There is ego enlargement before there's ego death, before there's ego dissolution. The ego is allowed to go live out all its fantasies and it's allowed to go and be a superhero, do these crazy things. And, And then finally, once the ego has had its fill of its egoism, now it can rest and now it can dissolve. And that's the way you have to deal with a patient or a person is allow him to see where his egoism might take him. Let him see on his own. Instead of putting it down, befriend your own ego and that of another person, and you'll allow it to dissipate and abate. Final paragraph. It is a true will of God that sometimes drives him into complete isolation, right? Sometimes this person is going to be driven to complete isolation. However wretched the state may be, it also stands him in good stead for in this way alone can he get to know himself and learn what an invaluable treasure is the love of his fellow beings. Only once you submit to all the selfishness and you fully take a look at this isolation that it causes fully embrace that and allow it to be. Then you kind of would like the Chinese toy, you allow it to resolve itself and you open up to the love of your fellow beings. Right? So you go from that dualistic plane to the oneness. It is moreover only in the state of complete abandonment and loneliness that we experience the helpful powers of our own natures. So when uh, to quote a great uh, television show, cartoon avatar legend of Korra, the end of season one uh, season finale, she says uh, uh, she's, she's greeted by the previous incarnation avatar or whatever. If you watch the show, you understand what I mean. Aang appears to her and He says to her, when we reach our lowest point, we are open to the greatest change. It's such a moving and beautiful concept because it allows us to realize it's okay to feel down. It's okay to have dug yourself into this abandonment of self or this isolation or all this stuff, all this wretchedness, because you open yourself to the greatest change. And you open yourself because from that point, all there is now is up. All there is now is this ability to seek for the outside because you're gonna eventually use up all that energy and there's gonna be none left to it. And you if you're nice to that part of yourself, if you're gentle with it, then good things will come as a result. Any questions or comments? I have a question. Please. I'm wondering, let's
2: Don't say. be selfish. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Nice to do it. I have a question. <laughs> um, Okay, let's say you were the psychotherapist and I was your patient. Would I be able to tell that, let's say you're accepting an evil part of me. Would I be able to tell if you truly accepted that evil part, that evil, same evil part of you? Like, is it so obvious and so differential that when when you really truly accept all of those parts of you and you're fully enlightened, like, how much does your patient actually feel like?
0: According to Jung, it's, it's, it's something that is emoted. It's something that, like, from the word emotion, it's something that is felt by the person. And I, I can't guarantee that. But there is a certain comfort that we have with people who know that they're rascals in a way that Alan Watts says it. We have a certain comfort. But the people who are self-righteous, those are the worst. The people who claim to be all good and they don't acknowledge the parts of themselves that are just as rascal-like as me, I can't be around those people because they're going to judge me and they're not going to make me comfortable and they don't know about their own evil. So unless you acknowledge the yetzer Hara in yourself. So I, to answer your question, I would hope so. I would hope so that, that there would be a genuineness to that interaction. And even if it might not be apparent at one point, it might come out at one point during the therapy. And that's the idea of transference and counter-transference. And you have to kind of play that game. By the way, I'll send you a bill in the mail um, for this uh, <laughs> consultation. <Yeah. laughs> Anybody else want to get charged? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure. Wait, you guys were awesome. You
2: know uh, a private. Private. No, I'm on your account. It's not oh, yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Also when like I have like, wow. like yes. wow. And I always look at her and I'm like, I wish I could do that. Like,
0: wow. That's
2: how I feel. I just like it's just not appropriate to do so. Yes. Like I can't cry when I want X, mm. Y, and Z. And yep. like, I'm also hungry and I just want to scream.
0: There's purity. Smoke.
2: So I always think about, like, that's me. I just have
0: layers. It took me five years to learn how to p- to paint like Rembrandt and a lifetime to learn how to paint like a child. That's Picasso, I think, says that. Oh, wow. I might have reversed the names, but I'm pretty sure. Like, that's the wisdom of childhood. Like, they're just so real. They're so raw. Yeah. They don't have these neuroses. They're not hiding from other egos yet. Well,
2: that's also, like, a homeless person in a way. Like, there's certain, like, let's say social norms that they just don't have to, like, adhere to or they can't adhere to.
0: Absolutely. For sure. Dr. Nasser and Sam, thank you so much for coming. Victor, I'm so glad to see you in person. This is fantastic.
2: Excuse okay.
0: me, okay. I'm so hungry. Okay. I'm so glad. Somebody's gotta eat it. Thank you, Mike. Otherwise, where does it go? <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, guys.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you. next you. Thank you. Take care. Good, night. Good night, guys.
2: All right, bye bye.